0: My name is Teresa and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Tricon Residential Second Quarter 2021 Analyst Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Votek Novak, Managing Director of Capital Markets. Thank you. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Teresa. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us to discuss Trigone's second quarter results for the three and six months ended June 30th, 2021, which were shared in the news release distributed yesterday. I would like to remind you that our remarks and answers to your questions may contain forward-looking statements and information this information is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause actual events or results to differ materially. For more information, please refer to our most recent management's discussion and analysis and annual information form, which are available on SEDAR and our company website. Our remarks also include references to non-GAAP financial measures, which are explained and reconciled in our MD&A. I would also like to remind everyone that all figures are being quoted in U.S. dollars unless otherwise stated. Please note that this call is available by webcast on our website and a replay will be accessible there following the call. Lastly, please note that during this call we will be referring to a supplementary presentation that you can view by joining our webcast or you can access directly through our website. This will be a useful tool to help you follow along during the call. You can find both the webcast registration and the presentation in the Investors section of TriconResidential.com under News and Events. With that, I will turn the call over to Gary Berman,
2: President and CEO of Tricon. Thank you, Boytech, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today. Tricon's momentum continued in the second quarter, strong demand trends coupled with excellent operating performance led to solid financial results for our company. I want to start by thanking our dedicated team members who continue to raise the bar quarter after quarter in how we perform and serve our residents. We've had an incredibly productive year to date and none of it would have been possible without the dedication and passion that our team brings to work every day. For those listening in, please know I'm extremely proud of your efforts and what we're all accomplishing together. Let's start on slide two and talk about the key takeaways we want to emphasize for you today. First, our business is benefiting from long-term tailwinds that support our Sunbelt middle market rental strategy. Americans are choosing to live in the Sunbelt because of superior job growth, better weather, lower taxes, more affordable living options and now a heightened preference for space brought upon by the pandemic. And our rental homes address the housing needs of America's largest demographic, the Millennials. Second, our core single family rental business continues to deliver solid operating performance. With exceptional demand trends and low supply of available homes, it's clear that our single-family rental business is booming. Third, we achieved a record pace of acquisitions this quarter with 1,504 single-family rental homes acquired, primarily through organic resale channels, and we expect volumes to accelerate further into Q3. The toward pace of acquisition should silence any questions or concerns about our ability to invest in what is admittedly a very competitive housing market. Fourth, our growth initiatives are supported by $2 billion of third-party equity capital commitments announced year-to-date, making this the most prolific year of fundraising in Tricon's 33-year history these investment joint ventures provide a clear path for us to double our portfolio to 50,000 homes over the next three years. And finally, we've achieved all of the above while remaining disciplined with our balance sheet, substantially exceeding our deleveraging target a year ahead of schedule. Let's now turn to slide three for a summary of our results. We reported earnings per diluted share of $0.72 compared to $0.16 in the prior year. Our core FFO per share was $0.14, representing a 27% increase when compared to last year. Our consolidated net operating income grew a solid 16% year over year, while overhead and interest expenses remained relatively stable on the whole, creating strong bottom line growth. We also recently achieved a number of strategic accomplishments, including the formation of our 1.5 billion home builder direct joint venture, inclusion into the FTSE EFRA index, and subsequent to quarter end, the launch of our largest JV to date, the 5 billion SFR JV2. We also completed a volatile equity financing for $201 million in Canadian dollars, which helped to reduce our leverage and position us well for continued growth. Moving to slide four, in our single-family rental business, we saw strong growth for new and existing assets as Tricon's proportionate share of NOI increased by 10% and same-home NOI grew 5.5% compared to last year. Without the impact of the Texas storm, our same-home NOI growth would have been 60 basis points higher at 6.1%. We also achieved a near-record same-home NOI margin of 66.6%, driven by strong operating metrics. It is worth noting that our NOI margin would have been 67% if we were to exclude the impact of the Texas freeze. In U.S. multifamily rental, we had our best quarter since Q1 2020, with operating metrics exceeding pre-pandemic levels, including a return of positive NOI growth, as well as solid occupancy, turnover, and blended rent growth trends that are accelerating further into Q3. And finally, for sale housing delivered another very strong quarter distributing 19.7 million of cash to Tricon. Let's now turn to slide five to discuss the fundamental trends supporting our Sunbelt middle market strategy. We often talk about the great migration to the U.S. Sunbelt and i shared with you numerous statistics in recent quarters that clearly show these demographic trends accelerating during the pandemic as the suburban and single-family lifestyle becomes even more enticing during a health crisis. These are not just passing trends, but rather long-term population shifts that have been in place for many years. You can see from the most recent census data that population growth in Tricom's markets has outperformed the national average by about 400 basis points over the past 10 years and is expected to continue to outperform in the foreseeable future as growth begets growth. And over the past year, these markets have also seen the fastest rebound in employment growth, exceeding the national average by about 300 basis points. Population growth and job growth are the key drivers of housing demand, and we believe the attractive combination of warm weather, lower taxes, strong job growth, and affordable living ops- options that has been in place for some time will continue to drive housing demand in the sunbelt for many years to come. Let's turn to slide six. With such strong housing demand trends, it's no surprise that home values continue to appreciate Tricon's single-family rental portfolio experienced home price appreciation of 15% year-to-date, which contributes meaningfully to our growth in book value per share. But at the same time, we're also seeing market rents continuing to rise, and we've been able to increase new move-in rent growth by a similar 15% year-to-date. This compelling correlation between home prices and rents has allowed us to acquire homes at attractive cap rates and create value for our shareholders quarter after quarter. With such compelling long-term trends on our side, it should come as no surprise that we focused on single-family rental as our core growth strategy. On slide 7, we outline our asset mix, where you can see that single-family rental now represents 93% of our consolidated real estate assets and is expected to remain above 90% going forward. Residential development is expected to remain near 5% of assets and also includes build-to-rent communities that add to our SFR portfolio. Multi-family rental has been reduced to 2% of assets as a result of the portfolio syndication and is expected to remain below 5% going forward. Let's now move to slide 8 to expand on our SFR growth strategy and talk about our various acquisition channels. As you can see, we have a diversified acquisition strategy and have formed complementary joint ventures with leading third-party investors to help us scale faster. Through these channels, we plan to double our portfolio to 50,000 single-family rental homes over the next three years. Subsequent to quarter end, we announced SFR JV2, the successor to SFR JV1, where we'll continue to acquire resale homes mainly through the MLS, as well as off-market channels and portfolio acquisitions. SFR JV2 is our largest joint venture to date and will add approximately 18,000 homes to our portfolio over the next three years alone. During the quarter, we also announced the formation of Home Builder Direct JV, which focuses on buying new scattered homes and completed built to rent communities directly from home builders. This new venture is very synergistic with our legacy for sale housing business as it leverages our long standing relationships with home builders to gain access to newly built homes. Over the past year, we've also expanded into the development of SFR built to rent communities under our joint venture with Arizona State Retirement System. On slide nine, you can see a summary of our SFR joint ventures. The key takeaway here is that these complementary investment vehicles each have a unique acquisition strategy that allows us to grow faster and diversify our portfolio while providing a variety of housing options to our residents at accessible price points. Turning to slide 10, we'd like to give you some more insight into how these JVs have allowed us to expand our buy box and double our acquisition volumes. Our expanded buy box enables us to buy homes in 21 markets compared to 12 previously under SFR JV-1, including cities such as Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Greenville, South Carolina, while still remaining focused on our middle market demographic. Our target cap rates have tightened by about 50 basis points to a range of 5 to 5.5%, five which reflects the shift to lower cap rate markets where we have in-place operations but, but did not find JV-1, and also the inclusion of new homes under Home Builder Direct Acquisition Channel. Interestingly even with lower going in cap rates our underwritten returns for JV2 and Home Builder Direct are higher than that of JV1, as we continue to benefit from the incredible attractive debt financing environment and the ongoing institutionalization of the SFR industry. Let's shift gears to slide 11 for an ESG update. Following the release of our inaugural ESG report this quarter, we engaged in several initiatives in support of our company-wide commitment to ESG. We completed our first GRESBA submission in June, Which positions us to receive our first Gresbow rating in 2022 from the most prominent real estate focused ratings agency. Second, construction began in June on Ontario's first purpose-built Indigenous hub, which is a part of Tricon's West Donlands project. This is something we feel honored to be a part of as the hub will be a gathering place for Indigenous people to help support the reclamation of culture and identity at a time when the atrocities of the residential school system are top of mind for all Canadians. The Indigenous Hub will help meet critical healthcare, spiritual, employment, training, and family support needs for the community. And finally, I'm pleased to report that Tricon has met or exceeded commitments to both the 30% Club Canada campaign and Black North Initiative CEO pledge to increase gender diversity and Black, Indigenous, and people of color representation at board and senior management levels. Although there's still lots of work to be done, diversity, inclusion, and belonging remain a priority for our organization and a key aspect of hiring plans for both leadership and non-leadership positions. At Tricon, there's genuine purity in our mission. We care deeply about our employees and the communities in which we operate. And we know that a diverse organization will position us better to serve our residents and the communities they live in as they themselves are inherently diverse. That concludes my opening remarks. And speaking of diversity, I would now like to pass the presentation over to Sam to discuss our financial results.
3: Thank you, Gary, good morning, everyone. First of all, I want to thank our team for the strong results we produced this quarter. With their efforts, we achieved record-breaking numbers while launching significant investment vehicles to grow our business, effectively controlling our costs and meaningfully reducing our leverage. Slide 12 highlights our progress against the five key priorities that we set out in 2019. These include growing our core FFO per share at a compounded annual rate of 10% over three years through 2022. Raising approximately $1 billion in third-party capital over three years, growing our book value per share by reinvesting our free cash flows into accretive growth opportunities, reducing our leverage and improving our reporting. As you can see, we are well on our way to achieving, and in most cases, exceeding, the goals we set out well ahead of schedule. Let's begin with our three-year FFO target. So far, we've achieved $0.27 of FFO per share year-to-date. Assuming the current trend holds, we are confident that we can achieve our FFO target of 52 to $0.57 cents in 2022, even with higher diluted share counts caused by our exchangeable preferred share offering last year and our recent equity offering. In terms of raising third-party capital, it has been a record-breaking start to the year. We have raised $2 billion of fee-bearing equity capital so far, which is double the goal we set out in a year ahead of schedule. This includes our recently announced SFRGV2, our single-family rental home-builder direct joint venture, our U.S. multifamily portfolio syndication, and our Canadian multifamily joint venture with CPP investments. With regards to reducing our leverage to the target range of 50 to 55%, we have exceeded our target ahead of schedule and now are sitting at 46% net debt to assets. This translates to 42% net debt to assets on a proportionate basis and gives us ample flexibility to continue growing while keeping our leverage at a prudent level. Our final priority was to improve our reporting, which is substantially completed with our transition from investment entity accounting to consolidated accounting last year, as well as adopting like MD&A disclosures such as FFO and AFFO per share. We also published our first annual ESG report in May, a major milestone in our journey. This report showcased our ESG commitments for the coming year while detailing how we performed last year. Now let's turn to slide thirteen where we we'll provide highlights of our key metrics for the quarter. First, our net income from continued operation grew almost fourfold year over year to one hundred and forty six million. This included approximately seventy one million of NY from our single family rental properties, representing a sixteen percent year over year increase. We also had a $254 million fair value gain on rental properties in Q3 compared to $33 million in the prior year, reflecting significant home price appreciation in Tricom's markets. Second, our core FFO per share increased by 27% year over year to $0.14 cents, or $0.17 cents in Canadian dollars. And third, we reported a of $0.11 cents per share, this translates to $0.14 cents Canadian and provides us with ample cushion to support our quarterly dividend of $0.07 Canadian per share, reflecting an AFFO payout ratio of 42%. Now, let's move on to slide 14 and talk about the drivers that contributed to our FFO per share growth this quarter, which relates to our proportionate share of the portfolio. The year-over-year increase of $0.03 per share, or 27%, can be attributed to the strength across several aspects of our business. First, our single family rental portfolio, which makes up 90% of our real estate assets, delivered 10% growth in Tricon's proportionate NOI. This was driven by a 16% increase in the number of homes, coupled with strong blended rent growth of 5.7%. All this was partially offset by a 1% decrease in occupancy due to our accelerated acquisition pace of vacant homes. Our other businesses also contributed meaningfully this quarter. Of note, residential development continues to perform exceptionally well as demand for development lots in our for sale housing business remains strong. The business contributed 8.3 million to our FFO this quarter and generated 19.7 million of cash flow for Tricon, including performance fees. There was also a 4.9 million increase in private funds and advisory revenue driven by an increase in development fees earned from Johnson lot sales higher asset management fees earned from our syndicated U.S. multifamily portfolio and home-builder direct joint venture, as well as substantial performance fees earned from legacy for sale housing investments. The offsetting factor was a lower U.S. multifamily rental FFO year-over-year due to the 80% portfolio syndication. On the expense side, we saw a year-over-year decrease in interest expense due to refinancing activities that have allowed us to benefit from the lower interest rate environment as well as lower balance outstanding on our corporate credit facility. This was largely offset by higher corporate overhead as we continue to grow our company as well as higher weighted average diluted shares outstanding from our preferred share equity issuance last year and our recent equity bought deal. Turning to slide 15, let's discuss our debt profile. As we look out to 2022, we expect to refinance the bulk of these maturities with new property-level debt, including securitizations. We see a significant opportunity for interest expense savings in today's low interest rate environment, given that the blended rate on these maturities is approximately 3.1%, whereas the current market is around 2.25% for five to seven-year terms. Moving to our liquidity profile on slide 16, you can see that our current liquidity position is strong with annual recurring cash flows and projected cash flow sources providing ample funding for our near-term growth initiatives. Our current AFFO run rate net of dividends gives us over $55 million of annual cash flows to reinvest in growth, and this number continues to grow. Meanwhile, on the liquidity side, we have approximately 570 million of our current liquidity plus 185 million of net distributions expected from our residential developments over the next several years. In terms of investments, we have 720 million of cash commitments in the next three years, which gives us strong visibility into our growth profile. In short, we are well-funded for our growth plan and we will aim to calibrate the pace of growth such that our leverage metrics remain at a comfortable level. On that note, let me pass the call over to Kevin Baltridge, Chief Operating Officer, to discuss the operational highlights for the quarter.
4: Thank you very much, Sam, and good morning, everyone. We had another stellar quarter of operating results, and I want to acknowledge the efforts of our operations and customer service teams. These teams I'm extremely proud to work with and who continue to put our residents' well-being first. Let's move to slide 17 to review the performance of our core single-family rental business. We continue to benefit from strong demand trends which drove higher occupancy, rent growth, and resident retention and resulted in same-home NOI growth of 5.5% year-over-year or 6.1% excluding the impact of the Texas storm. Digging into the numbers, same home revenue grew 5.4%. This was driven by a slight occupancy increase of 10 basis points, and average rent increasing by 5.4% lease over lease. I'm pleased to report that our bad debt has stabilized, representing 1.7% of total revenue this quarter, only 10 basis points higher than this time last year, and down from a high of 2.7% in Q4 2020. With that said, Over time, we believe we will return to pre-pandemic levels of sub-1%. On the expense side, we saw an increase of 5% compared to last year. This was largely driven by a $500,000 increase in property taxes, representing a 4.8% variance from the prior year as a result of higher assessed property values. We also had a $600,000 increase in repairs and maintenance expense which was about 19% higher than last year, largely driven by the Texas storm. This was partially offset by a $500,000 decrease in turnover expenses, which are down by almost 37% year on year due to lower turnover, as we continue to focus on exceptional resident service. We also returned to ordinary course capital improvements, which resulted in fewer items being expensed. Turning to slide 18, you can see that the strong demand trends in single-family rental continue to fire on all cylinders. With exception of demand for our homes and limited available supply, occupancy remains at near all-time highs, while rent growth on new move continue to increase and hit an all-time high of 17.8% growth in June, as we harvested the lost lease that has built up over time with our low turnover rate. Meanwhile, rent growth on renewals is inching up, as strong demand for our homes allows us to adjust that metric up a bit more while continuing to be sensitive to our residents' financial circumstances. July's KPIs built and improved on the strong operating performance produced during the first half of 2021. Same-home occupancy was 97.5 percent, while blended rent growth printed a new record high of 9.3 percent based on 20.7 percent new lease growth and 4.9 percent renewal rent growth. In terms of turnover, our same-home rate was a low 23.2 percent on a proportional basis in July and compares to 27.9 percent in July 2020. Let's turn now to slide 19 to discuss our U.S. multifamily rental business where I'm pleased to say that we've now largely internalized property management of the portfolio. This has been a huge undertaking, which we believe will lead to operating efficiencies and superior resident experience. Following our 80% syndication in Q2, we reported only our 20% proportionate share of the operating results. With that, I'm pleased to report that our NOI, our same home NOI growth is once again in positive territory, the a 5.9% increase year-over-year. Year. When we dive into the components of NOI, revenues were up 5.7% compared to last year. This was largely due to a 210 basis point increase in occupancy to 95.6% while being partially offset by marginally lower average monthly rent. That debt has generally stabilized and was only slightly higher 2% of total revenue versus 1.8% last year and revenues from ancillary services such as bundled entertainment package uh, increase slightly. In general, concessions have almost disappeared while blended rents are improving, driven by a lease trade-out rate of 14.3% in the quarter. This is arguably off a low base, but rent growth is expected to continue to improve further. On the expense side, there was an increase of $100,000 or 5.5% year-over-year, for Tricon's proportionate share, driven mostly by expenses returning to pre-pandemic levels, including deferred maintenance activities that occurred in the quarter. All in all, this has been an incredibly strong start to the year with the most compelling demand trends that I've seen in almost 30 years in this business. I want to thank our operations team again for their contribution this quarter and their unwavering dedication to our residents I know we say this again and again, but it really is because of their genuine commitment to our residents that we're able to continue to deliver these exceptional results. Now I'll turn the call back over to Gary for closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Kevin. I'd like to spend a minute on slide 20 with an overview of the value creation opportunities beyond our core SFR business. Our investments in US and Canadian multifamily rental and residential developments represent less than $3 of book value per share in Canadian dollars today and we see a path to doubling that value over the next few years. As you heard from Kevin, our U.S. multifamily portfolio is starting to show significantly better operating results at a time when cap rates are compressing meaningfully. Assuming Sunbelt multifamily cap rates of 4%, which may still be conservative given how fast valuations are moving, we think the portfolio is actually worth much more than our balance sheet suggests. Second, our Canadian multifamily development portfolio is on course to triple in value as we complete and stabilize the projects over the coming years, thereby capturing the value creation that comes from developing to an untrended yield of 4.75% in a market where Class A buildings are valued at approximately 3.5%. And lastly, our U.S. residential developments are expected to deliver about a two-times return on book value, with a robust for-sale housing market providing a constructive backdrop for this business. Taken together, these investments could be worth over $6 per share in Canadian dollars when fully realized. And so let's conclude on slide 21 with an overview of what we believe makes our story unique and compelling for our shareholders. We believe that SFR may be the best business in real estate and is a golden decade ahead. With over 16 million single-family rental homes across the U.S., but only 2% of of these homes being institutionally owned, there is a phenomenal opportunity to roll up a fragmented industry and provide more American families with badly needed, professionally managed rental housing. With our recently announced joint ventures, we have a clear path to doubling our portfolio to 50,000 homes and strengthening our position as a leader in the SFR industry, which is still in the early innings of institutionalization. We also have the unique opportunity to manage strategic capital for some of the largest and smartest third-party institutional investors in the world, which enables us to become a larger and more efficient operator, pursue development activities largely off balance sheet, and over time generate a higher return on equity for our shareholders. And last but not least, we've established an industry-leading operating platform which allows us to deliver consistently strong results while offering superior service to our residents. Our people-first culture and focus on innovation are competitive advantages that we believe makes us a leading operator and also a good corporate citizen. That concludes our prepared remarks. I will pass the call back to Teresa to take questions. With well, Sam, Kevin, and I will also be joined by John Allen Swag, Annie Carmody, and Andrew Joyner to answer questions.
0: At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
5: Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great. But having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets. And of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection or the rich and polished premium Slub Crew Tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to, and it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use Staple 20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.
0: And your first question comes from Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
6: Thank you and good morning. Good morning, Matt. Gary, you've done a great job of setting the business up with new joint ventures and significant progress on the balance sheet. Can you talk about your key priorities over the next three
4: years
2: and how you define success over this period? Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. I, I mean, look, we've done a ton of heavy lifting over the last year or two. And now now the big opportunity over the next three years is, is simply not to execute on what we've delivered. I mean, we have all the capital in place now uh, to grow our portfolio, our single family rental portfolio, from 25,000 to 50,000 homes. And so we just need to put our heads down and acquire roughly 1,500 to 2,000 homes per quarter and get those joint ventures uh, invested with really high quality homes so we can offer. You know more more options to our to our residents. So that that's by far and away the biggest goal. Um, I'd also like to see us make progress in all our developments. We're we're building a, a burgeoning uh, built to rent business um, that will deliver about 2,500 homes over the next two or three years. And so we'd like to get that off the ground. Um, and that again provides uh, another option to our residents with brand new high quality uh, housing. And then in Canada, north of the border. Um, over the next three years, I'd love to see us stabilize, uh, largely stabilize our portfolio, uh, create substantial value for our shareholders, and potentially give ourselves an opportunity to lift that portfolio and create even more value. So those are the, those are the big things we're going to work on over the next three years.
6: Great color. And maybe a question for Sam. Um, we really appreciate the proportionally consolidated disclosures this quarter, um, and when we tally those up, um, certainly there are some sizable marks in Q2 but over the past year, they seem to have lagged the K-Shiller index uh, perhaps a bit. Can you talk about what regions drove the fair value gains in Q2 and if you think there's potential for uh, further fair value gains over the next couple of quarters?
3: Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Matt. We do, uh, remember, our, the way we calculate our fair value uh, is really uh, backwards looking. So we always take uh, four quarters rolling and, and we are very conservative at that. And it's actually catching up. Over the past several quarters, we've seen home price appreciation increase significantly across a lot of the areas that we're in. So it's not just one area specifically, it's across the entire uh, regions that we're in, in the Sun Belt. We do expect fair value pickups to continue going forward, and we'd expect the same amount to continue over the next several quarters going forward. I remember if you evaluate it on a cap rate basis, we're still very, uh, very conservative from that perspective. So we do expect fair value pickups to continue.
2: And, Matt, maybe I could just add to that. Um, if you look at even with the big fair value increase this quarter, uh, if you look at our SFR portfolio on in-place NOI, it's about a 5% implied cap rate. If you use, if you use you know, run rate uh, – uh, or, sorry, if I, if I should say, if we use uh, in-place, it's 4.8%. And if we use run rate, it's about a 5% cap rate. So extremely conservative. Um, and, again, that's, as what Sam said, because of the lagging nature methodology – of how we determine a fair value. So, um, you know, that we're not seeing any portfolios trade anywhere near those uh, levels. And so there's substantial opportunity for, for more fair value increases going forward.
6: I agree. And maybe one last one for me. Um, if I look at your subscription facility, it would appear that the home builder Direct JV has started to deploy capital. Can you give us a flavor for the initial acquisitions in terms of region, home size? and maybe talk about if Tricon has any input in developing the home's
7: construction. John, you want to take that? Sure, and uh, and good morning, Matt, and thanks for asking that question. You know, as you recall, we closed Home Builder Direct midway through this quarter, and we ended up closing on 105 homes in that vehicle during the quarter. And I think, as we've discussed before, we expect it might take a couple of quarters for the acquisition volume in HG to really ramp up, because in many cases, what we're doing is actually ordering homes from builders in advance and so if we place an order today, for example, for 100 homes in a community, we may not start receiving deliveries, deliveries until Q1 or Q2 of next year. Um, in terms of the product, as you ask, you know, home sizes are not that dissimilar from our existing portfolio. They're slightly larger um, because most new homes being built are a little bit larger than resale homes. So call it closer to 1,900 to 2,100 square feet, whereas our, our standard portfolio is a little bit smaller than that. And home prices, are towards the higher end of our range simply because of the cost of new construction. Um, and then lastly, if you discuss the market, um, we're seeing strong um, strong supply coming online in places like Dallas, um, San Antonio, and Houston, and Austin. In Texas, we're also acquiring homes in Phoenix, um, Atlanta, Charlotte. So not too dissimilar uh, to our broader portfolio, but there's going to be some more concentrations as we, you know, place orders for entire communities in certain
0: markets.
6: Well, really appreciate the color. Thanks, everyone. I will turn the call
0: back. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Mario Seric with Scotia Bank. Your line is open.
8: Hi. Hi, good morning. Uh, good morning, Mario. Just just, just maybe you wanted to uh, touch on the expense growth this quarter. I recognize the Texas freeze played a role, uh, but these are 5% is a bit higher than what we've seen in the last you know, couple of years. H- how should we think about that? Uh, expense growth uh, ratio in the second half of this year and then going into 2022, given that there could still be further scaling opportunities within the business?
2: Well, okay, so it, it's a bit of a noisy quarter on the expense side. Um, and one of the reasons for that is the Texas freeze. If you isolate or remove the Texas freeze, um, the expense growth for the first six months of the year is about 2 2.5%. Two so that, I would say, is a, a more normalized number, Mario. The other issue is that in the height of the pandemic, Q2 of last year and in Q3, we really deferred non-essential uh, maintenance in CapEx. And so that also is creating a bit of a kind of, you know, it, it's also creating some noise in the numbers. So, so I, I would say the numbers because of that are higher than they normally would be. But to be fair, um, we are in an inflationary environment. Right. We're seeing, um, you know, wages, uh, material costs with supply chain issues, uh, creating pressures on, on all of our expenses. Property taxes are going to move up with higher home prices. Uh, insurance premiums have moved up. So all in all, we are in an inflationary environment, and I think we should expect higher expense growth. But I would say that the business is so strong, the fundamentals are so compelling, that we, sh- we still should be able to drive our revenues faster than our expenses, and therefore, uh, grow our margin.
8: Right. Okay, and then I guess an associated question, uh, I noticed the direct expenses recorded under SFR were two and a half million now was up over the one million kind of per quarter on average with the past five quarters. So is that explained by the noise, Gary, that you highlighted as well, or is something close to two and a half million in other direct costs uh, a decent run rate right going forward?
2: Uh, in direct expenses under SFR? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, some of that, some of this noise. there's also, um, if, if we're talking about the same line, Mario, I'm just going to take a look at that, yeah, other direct expenses, yeah, the other issue, the other thing to keep in mind there is we are rolling out our smart home uh, technology, and so the expense associated with that is a gross-up, so we show that the revenue in the fee, in the, in the revenue item, fees and other revenue, but then we show the expense associated with that in other direct expenses. So, that, that part of the increase in the other direct expenses is associated with the rollout of the smart home technology program. Got it. Okay.
8: And then just maybe focus on the top line, either Gary for you or for Kevin, uh, you know, it's kind of rolling on all cylinders here in terms of the, the rent growth, the occupancy is extremely high. Um, you know, rents are arguably really still below where home prices in the U.S. dictate they should be across most regions. Uh, when you sit back, what do you what do you think is uh, the biggest risk or the the thing that uh, takes up the most mind share for you in terms of continuing this really strong top line revenue growth?
2: Well, I mean, we're actually we're holding back, um, and it, it's and it's one of the things I think Kevin and I are and the organization we're most proud of, and and the fact is is that we are self governing or limiting on renewals. And if, if we weren't doing that, if you look at our renewal growth, I mean, it has it has edged up. It's it's in the high four percent range now. But if we weren't limiting uh, growth on renewals, we could see uh, renewal increases in many markets close to ten percent. So if anything, we're really protecting um, our residents. We're giving them more you know visibility and stability uh, with their own finances. But we're also building in more and more loss to lease in our portfolio, and that explains why our new lease uh, spreads. Are higher than you know, higher than in the industry, and 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 accelerated at you know twenty percent now into July, which is just unbelievable. But part of that is because we are self-governing on on renewals, so we're not really concerned about anything on, on the top line at this point in time. Um, and I think the way we're running our business just gives us a much longer runway.
8: And the uh, the new Eastroads would that be a fair indication of where you think the market market in your portfolio is on the whole today?
2: might be a little high. Um, you know, 20% seems high to me, but it wouldn't shock me if the loss to lease was in that kind of 15% range. Uh, that, that was similar to where we comped the portfolio a quarter or two ago against Zillow. Um, so for me, 15% sounds more reasonable. Um, but obviously, we continue to build more and more loss to lease every quarter as we, again,
8: uh, hold back on renewals. Uh, okay, my, my next question is more of a, a high-level question. You know, in your 2020 investor in Florida, you kind of laid out various initiatives and uh, you've achieved pretty much all of them uh, sooner than anticipated. Uh, so the question is somewhat similar to an earlier one, but you know, looks like over the next three years, it's really kind of keep your head down and, and focus on what's been announced uh, in terms of initiatives. Uh, if, if we look out, call it three to five years, what are some of the things today that the organization's focused on that may not necessarily be material, uh, such as the, the community multifamily development uh, completion over the next three years. It may not be as material, but it's like new, interesting things that the organization's looking at that you think could have a, a very material impact, uh, call it three to six, three to seven years out.
2: Well, I think if we keep on looking further out, look, so high level, we're gonna, and this is the big thing that everyone should focus on. We're gonna go from 25,000 homes Uh, to where we are today, to 50,000 homes in three years. And after that, if all goes according to Hoyle and we do a good job, there's no reason why we can't raise another round of joint ventures that will ultimately allow us to go from 50,000 to 100,000 homes. So that's, that's ultimately what we're focused on, and it's absolutely achievable. We need to observe the natural speed limit of our business and not grow too fast, because then we might have operational hiccups. But you know, we're able to go from now 800 homes to 1500 homes to two thousand homes a quarter without skipping a beat. And, and so we have this incredible you know runway ahead to grow the portfolio. And as we do that, um, we're going to become more efficient um, as an operator. Uh, our overhead efficiency will continue to improve. We'll become more innovative and we'll be able to offer um, you know more options. And, and ultimately, I think services to our resident, our residents as we ultimately build out a, uh, you know, a state-of-the-art resident app, So that's something that, you know, we're going to be working on. I think we're just scraping the tip of the iceberg in terms of ancillary revenues. But long-term, if you think five or ten years, um, you know, I always say to our team, and and, and this is not, it it, it doesn't necessarily need to be taken literally, but, you know, why couldn't we potentially rent an autonomous car to our residents by the hour by the day? But that's just to give you a sense of what ultimately can be done if you control the rooftops with ancillary revenues. there's a lot of exciting times ahead, I think, on that and on innovation. And then, um, you know, in other parts of our business, which don't get as much attention, like all the development, um, the build-to-rent, um, we're building a state-of-the-art build-to-rent portfolio. Andy Carmeny's running that. Um, and, and up in, uh, in Toronto, Andrew Joyner's running um, what is going to be the unique and highest quality uh, multifamily apartment uh, business, you know, certainly in Canada, but maybe anywhere. And uh, there'll be an, uh, an opportunity for us to create real value for our shareholders um, in that. And, and, and the other thing I would just say is we're, we're incredibly focused on ESG. Um, ESG is, I think, it's still early days for the real estate industry right now. It's, it's, it's maybe only focused on, on environmental impact. But we think that with the events through the pandemic, investors have really allowed us to prioritize the social factors. Um, which we think allows us to run a much better business as we prioritize our employees and, and then our residents, and you're going to hear more and more about that. So we're going to be unveiling programs um, for both our residents and, and our employees that we think are incredibly uh, exciting and will make us a better and better company over time.
8: know, just on the SFR, you know, over a long period of time, given what you've learned and developed in the U.S., uh, the, 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 the potential, in the attractions to, to export that model into other developed countries across the world, or is there simply enough, more than enough growth in the U.S. to not even think about that?
2: I mean, absolutely, it could be, it could be extrapolated uh, to other markets. I, I just don't think we're focused on that today because it, it's just such a deep market. Um, you know, the U.S. housing market is the largest uh, asset in the world. I mean, it's, it's depending on how you measure it, it's, it's forty to fifty trillion dollar asset class. Uh, the the single-family rental business, based on 16 or 17 million units, is a 4 to $5 trillion dollar asset class, right? So it, it's bigger than all of the entire Canadian housing market. It is so big, and institutions like us only own about 2%. Um, so there's this massive opportunity to roll up a fragmented industry. And, and that's why I would say that single-family rental may be the best business in real estate, um, because you have this incredible roll up opportunity that you don't typically have in other asset classes. It, it maybe reminds me a little bit of where storage was twenty years ago. Um, but this is it's uh, there's incredible runway ahead in the US. We don't we don't need to look further afield.
8: Right. Okay. And congrats on executing on the strategy that you laid out. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. Thank you.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Kelcher with T V securities. Your line is open.
9: Thanks. Uh, good, good morning. Um, are, you, are you guys still looking at doing a um, U.S. apartment Sunbelt joint venture?
2: We are. Uh, we are. We're in um, significantly advanced on creating what we call a growth vehicle. Um, that growth vehicle will probably be announced um, with a deal. And this is not going to be a major, uh, it's, it's not going to be a major fund. Uh, it's really a growth vehicle that will allow us to really round out our portfolio uh, and and just kind of, yeah, build on it on the margin, right? Some places, for example, we might only have one or two assets, and there's an opportunity to really kind of round that out for our our institutional partners. And so that's something you should expect uh, later in the year, probably in Q4. Okay. Um, That's helpful.
9: And then just uh, on on slide 12, and and just so I understand it, because it it does sound through previous questions that you guys are – with, I guess, with the exception of the department, JV, pretty much done with third-party capital raisings and, until you get a good chunk deployed, um, but it still shows a, a $1 billion 2022 target. Is that, how, how should I think about that?
2: Oh, that? that so that was our, so what we're doing on this performance dashboard is, is setting up targets, right? Long-term goals that were, were basically uh, put in place in, in 2019. So the 2019 target was $1 billion by 2022, and we doubled that already in 2021. Okay. So we're double where our target is, that, that's all it is. Yeah, okay,
9: just uh, just double checking on that. And then the, the second question um, I have is, is how should we, you know, it's like very good for sale housing quarter and the performance fees obviously helped your, your quarter. How should we think about both of those uh, lines for, for the back half of 2021?
2: Yeah, so I mean, look, the for-sale housing uh, business is is booming, right? And, and and this is where I think when we set some of our targets, we didn't we didn't expect such a strong uh, market in for-sale housing. The pandemic, um, just with all the you know de-urbanization and de densification trends, work from home, it's, it's really it's created an unbelievable backdrop for 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 all type all things housing in the U.S. But th- certainly for for-sale housing, and so um, everything in in that business for us today is on fire. Um, that is coming through in, in our investment income um, as we use discounted cash flow analysis and appraisals. Um, cash flow is coming in sooner. Uh, home prices and law prices are moving up. And so the numbers are higher than where we thought they would be. Um, I would say where we typically think they should be on the for sale housing side would probably be half of, of where they're coming in this quarter. Uh, we would typically target you know high single-digit um, unlevered returns on invested capital. Um, and they're, right now they're, they're double that, so I, I would say those are, you know, they're, they're, they're quite a bit higher than where we would expect. Um, on the development fee side, I, I think this is a strong quarter, um, but I, I would say we think the development fees are probably pretty stable going forward. Although I will say that, you know, Johnson is is benefiting from this, you know, in, you know, really strong environment um, as, as home builders start to limit um, their releases, which they're doing we may see uh, lot uh, lot sales slow down a bit. But other than that, uh, I mean, look, Houston and Texas are extremely strong. So I, I would say that, you know, the development fee line is, is pretty stable, but we had a strong quarter.
9: Okay, so for sale housing should continue elevated for I guess the rest of this year. And, and the other one was on the, the performance fees, which are obviously very lumpy, but do you, do you have All any right. line of sight for the, the backup?
2: Yeah, I would I would say, that, look, they're they're extremely episodic and lumpy, as you said. We we do not we cannot predict them quarter to quarter. Um, I, I, so I'm not going to predict them quarter to quarter for you, except to say that there'll be significant performances over time. But I would expect probably a quieter back half of the year.
9: Okay, thanks. I'll uh, I'll turn it back.
0: Again, if you would like to ask a question, press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Stephen McLeod with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
6: Uh, Thank you. Good morning, guys. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, Lots of great color um, on the call, so thank you. Um, I just wanted to focus in on your goal to double the size of the single-family rental portfolio. Um, Could you just give a little bit of color around the pace uh, to get there? I, I assume is it's is it fairly even over the next three years? And then secondly to that, um, how do you see margins evolving as you double the size of the portfolio? Are there any mix impacts? And then I guess thirdly, um, you know, you've obviously uh, invested a lot in the infrastructure to support the single-family business that we've seen at some of the investor days, which is impressive. Um, what, what, what size portfolio does the infrastructure support or can it support without adding more?
2: more investments along the way. So, John, do you want to start on the pace and then maybe I'll I'll fill in on the margin or maybe Kevin can chime in after? Yeah.
7: Yeah, sure. And and Stephen, that was a great question. I think as we indicated earlier on the call, you know, this quarter we acquired just a hair over 1,500 homes. Um, We think that uh, this coming quarter Q3, we're on track to to acquire 2,000 plus homes. But recall also there is some lumpiness and seasonality in acquisition volume. And in particular, Q3 tends to be our highest of the year, so it's likely to drop down a little bit into Q4. But all in all, you know, if you think about acquisition volume, you know, 6,000, 7,000 plus acquisitions a year, and if you multiply that by three years, you know, 6,000 times three is 18,000 to 20,000. That gets you to that 45,000 home target that we indicated earlier. Gary, mm-hmm. do you want to? And, and, and in terms of and in terms of mix, sorry, I'll talk on that. and Gary, you can speak on margin. Um, now that we've been able to expand our joint venture back, you know, our joint ventures across. Um, all of our markets, and even add a few more. Um, we think that uh, you know the mix uh, is improved actually a little bit. When you think about the margins in some of these markets, for example, Phoenix, where we're now buying um, in meaningful volume, it's typically been a higher margin market for us, which is, uh, is certainly helpful I and mean, maybe offset some of the drag that we see in some of the slightly lower margin markets with, uh, with higher property taxes. But Gary, I'll let you talk maybe about the total total margin effect.
2: Yeah. So, and again, just to, uh, just to add a little bit more color on, on, the, on the pace. So we're going to, you know, I think if John has his way, we're going to go from about, you know, 6,000 home pace, annual pace to 8,000, right, over time. And if we can get up to 8,000, then obviously we go from 25 to roughly 50. But then the other thing is you also have to remember that we have the built-to-rent program, and that's going to deliver about 2,500 units um, over the next several years. And then um, if all goes according to plan, we'll probably raise another built-to-rent fund, uh, which will allow us to grow even faster. So we're, we're very confident about our ability to go from kind of 25,000 to 50,000 over the next few years. And then um, on so on the margin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Some of these West Coast markets do have higher margins. Uh, New homes, the Home Builder Direct will be favorable to the margin uh, because all other things being equal, because when we buy new homes, they have lower repairs and maintenance uh, in the early years, so that's favorable to the margin. And then um, I think in terms of giving some kind of commentary on, you know, where the margin could go, um, we're roughly – we're at about 67% today if you exclude the impact of the Texas freeze, and again, I, I, I think there's still quite a bit of opportunity in the portfolio. Um, obviously, you've seen the releasing spreads, which is a, a major opportunity. I think we can probably push our occupancy higher. We're about 97.5. There's, there's no reason why we couldn't push that higher than 98. Uh, the bad debt is elevated um, and will start to come down probably next year. And so that alone, you know, could bring us, as we normalize all of that, could bring us from 67 to 68 and then um, I, I think, look, if, if we can be in an environment where revenues are, are going to grow faster than expenses, there is a path to getting to uh, a seven-handle uh, on the margin. So, you know, that's probably not a short-term short-term goal, Steve, but probably over the mid- mid-to-longer um, mid term, there's no reason why we, al- we couldn't ultimately get to 70%. That's
6: great. That sounds uh, very encouraging. And then maybe uh, just finally, with respect to the capacity um, around the investments that you've made, What's, um you know what size portfolio can the infrastructure currently support?
2: Yeah, sorry, we didn't get to that part. Uh, yeah, the the organization has definitely been built to manage a much larger portfolio. That that's one of the things that's so exciting. We could do a lot more with the team uh, we have in place, and so we should see um, real efficiencies in our overhead um, as we deploy the capital and go from 25 to 50,000 homes. So. That, that's a really exciting uh, opportunity I think to become more efficient and that will drive our FFO for share growth over the next few years. Uh, it, it, in the field though as you add more homes you do you do need to add more, more you know add more bodies right so that that is that the synergies really will come more in the centralized office and corporate um, but as we go from 25 to 50,000, thousand we're obviously going to need to add a lot more maintenance tax. Yeah yeah
6: right okay well that's great. all oh, my other questions have been answered. thank you and uh, congrats on the performance.
2: Thank you, Steve.
0: And your next question comes from the line of Tal Wooley with National Bank. Your line is open.
9: Hi. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Tal. Um, wanted to talk about the Canadian platform uh, for a second. Uh, the tailor, you're going to be finishing construction towards the end of this year. When should we expect uh, you guys to start? pre-leasing, and what do you think your expectations of net rents are going to be? And do you have an idea of like, you know, on stabilization, what your expected yield is going to look like?
2: Yes. Yeah, so we are going to uh, complete the building in March. Um, we're a little bit behind, but it, that's a, it's a much better opportunity, I think, to lease the building in March than maybe uh, December or January. Um, we will start pre-leasing around that time, maybe a little bit before. And um, I think in terms of uh, lease expectations, it'll it'll clearly be $4 per foot plus, right, is where we're going to lease. And and I would say that, uh, and and this is, you know, I think for the tailor, but it's a commentary probably for the entire portfolio. Um, We've seen pressure on the rents uh, during the pandemic, but I, I would really view it as a disruption, uh, is really kind of a temporary disruption, and will ultimately probably be back on target for our underwriting. Um, and, and we're seeing that on the Selby. I mean, it's unbelievable how fast the market's moved over the last few months. Um, you know we've gone from eighty two percent occupancy to you know we'll probably be closer to ninety seven percent in a month or so, so you can see how fast we're going to be going back to pre-pandemic rents and then growing from there. And so we typically view the pandemic really as a disruption. And given how tight the market is, as everything opens up and the border opens and we get more foreign students coming back, um, we'll be back to where our underwriting is. And I think on the Taylor, um, we're expecting a trended development yield um, of, of closer to like five and a half, maybe even, even, maybe even as high as six percent, but five and a half to six percent. So certainly above the 4.75 percent we've been guiding to in terms of how to think about the valuation of the portfolio, the tailor should be quite a bit ahead of that.
9: Okay. And, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about your leasing experience at the Selby. to, um, any lessons you've
2: learned from there that you could take to the other projects? I'm going, to, I'm going to hand that question over to Kevin. Kevin, any uh, uh, questions? Any lessons learned on the Selby that we could apply? And then and maybe Andrew, you're welcome to chime in.
4: Yeah, I think that um, it's, it's really having the staff trained and ready, and being nimble, uh, and you know, learning, understanding what the market is, understanding what our what our competitors are doing, constantly looking to see. You know what is being advertised, uh, and then being nimble, listening to the to the as are coming in, and um, we we've brought in we started using uh, Yield Star at the property that's helping us set rents. Um, so you know it compares to the market, but also to our own property, and it's just looking at, at how long a, a unit sits on the market, and whether we need to move the rents up or down, uh, and then just making sure that the properties present themselves and that they're. You know completely um you know it's inviting it's well maintained it's groomed uh you know making sure that you know the resident experience is is unsurpassed and what we've noticed at the selby was you know the the quality of the construction and the amenities that were delivered are second to none and the, you know we were in the pandemic and it was hard to use the amenities but you know, as we started to open up, we've seen you know, people just gone back in. So the amenity package, well, I know we're doing the same with Taylor and on the other projects, are, are going to be remarkable. Uh, and then the what we've learned too is just really engaging with our residents. So having a, a, a good, um, you know, social media presence and having um, in the in the in the property having all the, the different. Um, events and even if they're virtual events we had a lot of people that were um, taking part in those events and they were spreading that and as, a, as the economy started to open up and the um, toronto started to open up that that word of mouth really brought in the resident base and the prospects in which has helped us to move back back in um, and, and really get up to to stabilization Okay.
9: And then just my last question. On the residential development um, income that you booked this quarter, I, I, I apologize if I've missed this somewhere in the MDMA, but is it possible to get, a, you know, just a little bit of clarity on the composition of that income? Like, is that predominantly lot sale income? Is it realized, unrealized gains on, you know, the value of the investments?
2: Um, yeah, we could, I mean, we could probably take that offline for you, um, but I would tell you it, it's really, the way that income is determined, How is is through um, largely, we talked about this earlier in the call, it's, it's through a discounted cash flow analysis and appraisals. And so this all being essentially for sale housing, it's all for sale housing. So it's mainly lots, lot sales, but in some cases we're also selling homes to consumers. But essentially if you're in an environment where Lot prices and home prices are going up, and you're selling faster. Uh, from a discounted cash flow perspective, you're going to you're going to have higher income, and that, that's a, that's essentially what's happening. So that's why the income is is quite a bit higher than what we would have forecast. We said earlier that we typically expect you know an unlevered uh, yield on the invested capital in the high single digits, and we're probably double that rate today. Uh, and that again is a reflection of just how strong the the U.S. housing market is. But the entire makeup of that is essentially um, lots and, and home sales.
9: Okay. Sorry for the double question. I, I'm triple booked this hour. <laughs> so well, well, no. No, no dumb questions. Okay. Thanks, Gary.
0: There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back over to Gary Berman, president of, and CEO of Tricon Residential.
2: Thank you, Teresa. I would like to thank all of you on this call for your participation. We look forward to speaking with you again in November to discuss our Q3 results.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.